Welcome to the Treasure Time podcast, where we explore the power of play for connection, communication and emotional development. I'm your host, Sophia Giblin, and I'm so excited for you to hear today's conversation. In this episode, I'm speaking with Ingrid Skills. She's a play advocate and one of the original parent founders of Playing Out, which is an inspiring movement which helps communities across the UK reclaim their neighbourhood streets and estates into places where children can simply step outside their front door and play. Playing Out is all about supporting play streets and play on estates, but their overarching aim as a parent-led movement is to restore children's freedom to play out every day in the places where they live. In this episode, Ingrid shares what prompted her journey into protecting and campaigning for children's play, including the challenges that children face these days playing outside, what the environment looks like for children, why there are so many barriers to playing outside, and what we can do about it, and the incredible impact that street play has had not only on children's well-being, but also in bringing communities and streets together. You'll hear how a simple idea sparked a national movement and how we can all adopt some of what's worked to foster healthier, happier children through the freedom of outdoor play right here. What really struck me about this conversation is just how rich and powerful playing in the street is. Lots of people who are listening, I know, will have a memory of what it's like to play out with other children from the street, in the street, in a safe environment, come home from school, drop the bags, go outside and just play until dinner time or until it's dark and children these days don't always have the same opportunity actually the environment has changed a lot and it was quite surprising to hear just how much it's changed over the last few years and what that actually means for children's playing out opportunities the most interesting thing for me about this podcast episode and this conversation about playing out is how when children are encouraged to play outside their house outside their front door when they know that their community is supportive of them playing that they develop this sense of belonging, that they feel like they belong in this world, they feel like they're welcome, that they have space for play, that adults around them will cater to what it is that they need and want. And that was really interesting for me because as a child who grew up in a very rural place, there was lots of kids because I had siblings and cousins, but there was no street. It was countryside. There was no other children around. And I remember really desperately wanting to play with other children because you you want to be able to socialize with children outside of your family and also outside of school. And this conversation was super interesting because there's so much rich socialization, play opportunities, ways of navigating interpersonal relationships, dynamics that happen in a play context on a street in a community that actually are just not happening anymore. And what a huge impact playing out on the street could have for all children across the country if there were more opportunities for it. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I know that by the end, you'll walk away feeling fired up about how you can play your part in making our streets more child-friendly for children within our communities. So let's dive into this conversation on why children not playing outside is a crisis that we need to address now. Hi, Ingrid. So nice to have you on the Treasure Time podcast. Thank you for having me on here. It's really lovely to meet you and I'm super excited to hear all about your work at Playing Out and to have a conversation about all things play because that is my favorite topic. So before we get going, let's just do a quick introduction to you. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you come from and how you got involved in Playing Out. Well, I am 56 and my, I have two children who are now in their 20s. 
And I've been involved with playing out, kind of forming and growing playing out since they were small children. So for about 12 or 13 years. And I've also worked over that time with a project in Bristol that's kind of about play as well, but play within education. It's an artist studio run by children in a primary school in one of the poorest areas of Bristol. So it's very, very much about play and how that can be important within school and within education and particularly for children who are struggling the most. So playing out in that are my two areas of work. I've also written a children's story, which is all about play. So really, yeah, everything's about play. (laughs) And I feel like this has been my working life and my non-working life ever since I had children. But really the inspiration for it all, in a way, was my childhood. So I almost feel like it's kind of just a very important thing for my whole life. Ah, that's interesting. So I also recognize that it's my childhood that has brought me into play. Can you tell us a little bit more? about that yeah I mean so when I was young and maybe it's the same for some people listening maybe not it was absolutely the norm for children to play outside every day pretty much every day you'd come home from school dump your bags and go out uh, until it got dark until it was tea time and that was our life as children really was being outside together with the children who kind of lived on your street and just a whole life, other lifetime that wasn't with your family, but that was adventurous and rich and about friendship and physical activity and learning and growing and taking risks and adventures and imagination and belonging and being part of your community and all of those things. And it was and still feels such a deep, rich part of my life growing up as a child. Uh, that stayed with me really into adulthood in, and into what I think is essential for children to have in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So did, where did you grow up? I grew up in Nottingham in the middle of the city on a kind of small estate that had some green space as well. And I guess I, I'm still in the middle of a city. I'm in Bristol now and that's where my children grew up. So my context has always been quite built up cities but with lots of green spaces and patches of of ground you know that children can explore but I also had quite a lot of holidays in the countryside so had that kind of experience of running free there a bit as well I tried to give that to my children as well it's interesting how you you kind of want to give the good things you had yourself to your children and yeah that I think that's what I've tried to do I love that. Yeah, and I think because you know you hold those memories so fond and so dear to you, of course you want that for them as well. So what's the difference then between how you grew up in Nottingham in a, in that sort of built city to how your children grew up then in Bristol? What what's the changes been over time? Well, the change was massive actually, and it's strange I didn't really become conscious of it until I had children and actually until I had children who were getting to kind of after five, which is the age where you'd start to let children have a tiny bit of freedom when I was little. So before that, I don't think I'd really noticed the changes, but once my children were at that kind of five to 12 age, I did notice them and they were absolutely massive. So children were and are no longer playing out in the same way at all, really. 
in that day-to-day way. They're far more, their lives are far more managed and kind of organized by adults. The opportunities to play or to be with other children outside of school are very, are very supervised by adults. So they're kind of sports clubs, activities, classes, going to the park or going to another child's house. But these are all very scheduled. They might, they might need money. They might need a car and not all children have that. They might need an adult to, to make them happen. So the days of kind of children being out, which was basically totally free, you know, it didn't cost anything. You didn't have to drive anywhere special. You didn't even have to have an adult making it happen. It was just almost the democratic right of children to have that freedom, which also meant having that health, that socialization, that imagination, that community. That has all not gone. Children do still play out in pockets, but largely changed. And children's lives now are far more indoors. They're far more inactive. They're more isolated in a way. And it was a huge change, even when my children were small, to experience that. Absolutely. I, so I grew up in the countryside. We didn't have a street. We, it was very rural. And, um, but luckily for me, I grew up next door to my cousins. So there was like six kids. Oh, perfect. So we were at, just out in the garden, like you say, but I really wanted to live on an estate and be near other children. I remember that very vividly. I was like, when can we move? And my dad was like, we're not moving. <laughs> but I wanted that like social interaction outside of school with other children. I think it's such an important part of growing up, as you say. Do you still have friends from playing out in the streets in Nottingham? Well, I moved when I was eight to a different place. So those early friends, no, I don't. But I remember them so vividly. And I think the thing about friends outside of school is, you know, it's very different. We, in our little gang where we played out, there was, there was a 12-year-old who kind of came up with all the games and was very bossy. And I kind of, I was in the middle of that age group. And then right down to sort of very little toddler who'd be hoiked around and looked after by the older ones and so it was all different ages and very different children from my school life where you tend to sort of find the people that are similar to you so yeah I'm not in touch with them but I have very strong memories of them and then from my next house which from when I was eight I do still know people from that time yeah yeah beautiful and it's it is that really interesting kind of level of socialization as you say with people that you probably you wouldn't meet at school and so yeah. where do children get those connections nowadays? I suppose, like you say, it's clubs, right? Sports. Well, or... yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah. I think if children are going to those clubs and classes and organized activities, they're getting it there. But not all children can or want to do that. So a lot of children won't be getting it at all, which is a very big change, you know, that kind of. And I think the whole thing of being outside and playing outside freely where you know, you'd go out, then you might fall out with someone, then you'd have to make up, otherwise the game couldn't carry on, or you'd go in and then you'd come out again. All of those kind of problem-solving things that build resilience and confidence and ability to get on with people. If they're always overseen by adults in school or on a kind of play date, you know, then the children aren't having to sort it out themselves. So it wasn't always easy. And there was some difficult things you know you fell off your bike you scraped your leg you fell out with people you got bored but there was a lot of learning happening there that I'm not sure is happening in the same way now Mm, I would agree so what 
kind of environment are we facing at the minute? What challenges are there and what is playing out doing to kind of combat that? Wow, yeah. The envi- so how things are for children, I think I described it. And obviously, since my children were small, screens have kind of grown and multiplied and become far more part central to children's lives. I do wonder whether that would have happened if if the outside world had still remained as friendly, because I think this is one of the things that's changed over that time is that the outdoor environment has become a lot more unfriendly, if not hostile for children. So traffic has doubled since the 1980s, since I was little and playing out. And the types of cars and the way that people drive has completely changed. So we've gone from a time when streets, residential streets were a bit more shared spaces and you looked out for children that were out, you know, they were more sort of shared spaces between residents and cars. And now they are only for cars. And, you know, there's quite a lot of aggression sometimes if a person is in that space and not running to get out of it rather than the car kind of slowing down. So that's a huge change and parents have a huge fear around that. And it's really justified. It's, I think it's around 1,600 children under 15 are either killed or seriously injured every year as pedestrians. I mean, that is, that's horrific and Mm. huge and unacceptable. And a lot of children aren't out. So the figures, you know, it's, it's dangerous. So I think traffic has always been something where we've looked around when we were parents of small children and we were thinking, well, why aren't they outside? Why has it changed? Why are we all stuck in our separate homes why can't our children have all that good stuff and one of the main things we saw was traffic has changed and it is dangerous and people are worried about it and then I guess other things out there that are different is it used to be that children just kind of had a place outside in public space because no one was really thinking about them so much whereas over these same years we've had things like no ball game signs go up everywhere more and more complaints about children being out and that's really increased over COVID and beyond I think with people working from home we hear stories from our kind of parent network of people saying oh you know the neighbours have complained about school break times being loud the neighbours are complaining about my child because they can't work and it's it's always like in all these situations children are children's needs are at the bottom and they're not really kind of protected so gradually They've been pushed out of so many spaces outside and into the home. And in the home, there is this whole other world of screens that can, uh, in inverted commas, take the place of all that. But actually, it doesn't take the place of all that. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're up to now. And when our children were small, we were a group of parents, you know, at the school gate talking about this a lot. And we were we just started trying different things to give our children that outside play and freedom. And we tried things like we'd all meet up at the park at the same time or on patches of land close to home. And that was really good. And we we kind of asked the school if they could take children out more because schools have also become more and more kind of not taking children out. It's easier to just stay in the school. We tried lots of things like that. But in the end, two of my my friends and neighbours who live on the next road just over there, pointing out of my window, they came up with this idea to let's close the street for a few hours. It's space on our doorstep. It's dominated by cars. It's the thing that's stopping everyone being out like we used to be. Let's close the road for a few 
hours, push back the traffic and just see what happens. And that was the first play street that we did. And it was amazing because children did come out. They played in all the ways that we used to do. Children came out who we didn't even know lived on that road. Our neighbours came out, parents came out and met each other. And it was just an incredible kind of light bulb moment of almost like, oh, so if there's the space, this is what happens. It's just, there's not the space. So we need to make the space. And so that was the first play street. And then parents and neighbours who'd walked past started seeing it and saying, oh, I want to do that thing you did. And the idea started to spread from a kind of parent level as a way to claim back a bit of space for children to play out and to have all those good things. That's absolutely amazing. And so I'm really interested that first time you did it, what was the response like from people, like, let's say from people who wanted to drive through the street, who normally would feel like, you know, they own the street, they have the right of way. What, how did you manage that? Well, the way that the play street happened from the beginning was a sort of formal road closure. So Amy and Alice closed the road as if for a street party. And to do that, you have to apply to the council, get permission, and you have to put, you know, road close signs up at either end. You have to have stewards in high vis. So all the street together collectively made this happen. So it was a very formal saying, formal process, and clearly kind of council approved. And that's was and has been very, very important to play streets because it's about, A, making sure the space is very safe. And I think if it was really informal, A, there's not a legal basis to it, and B, cars could just, that don't care, could just go down anyway. But I think it also gave it a kind of permission and validity to drivers. On the whole, people were really kind of curious and a bit like, oh, you know, but happy to, it just means driving down a little bit and going down a next cut through road. So on the whole, they, yeah, people were very positive and supportive. But obviously over the years, there's been a lot of driver pushback and not so much at the events, but more when people heard about the idea. Um, there was a lot of resistance of like, oh, this is ridiculous. Why don't children just go to the park like we used to do and roads are for cars. And there's quite a kind of... Uh, you know, my car is my right and my freedom and I'll go where I want kind of feeling. So it can bring up quite strong feelings. And we just try to say to people, well, look, you know, most of us are drivers. We understand that. But all of us were children <laughs> and a lot of us either have children or are going to have children. So we've got to try and look at it from their perspective. And this is just a couple of hours, one road, you know, it's not a big deal. And for the parks are great, you know, but you've got to get there. You've got to cross all these roads to get there. And it's a bit more of an organized outing, whereas this is about just playing on your doorstep where you live, which feels, you know, very important for children that they, they experience the space in front of their home as one they can be in. You know, this is their first step to being in the community, to sort of social and public life. And if they don't feel they can be in the space outside the front door because it's dangerous, that's not a good start in a way. Yeah, I definitely feel like there's a part of that which is about belonging. Like children belong here. They belong with us and as part of, like you say, the community. But that it really brings up something for me around this sort of idea. And I'd love to hear what, what you think about this. But like increasingly so over the years, it feels like children are becoming a nuisance. Like they're seen as a nuisance. Like, people, you know, small people that kind of get in the way of day to day 
activity and even the idea of them playing in the street. Well, that's where my, for my car, like at what point did our convenience become more important than the needs of our children or, you know, society's children, if not our own? Yes, it really is like that. And it's getting more and more like that. And it's strange because we've talked about it a lot over you know all of these years and looking back to when we were little it wasn't so much that everyone was saying oh children have a right to be out and you know this is your public space and it really it was just what parents you know you went outside because it was safe enough parents could get on with whatever they were doing and that was it so over the years as outside has become less safe the pressure has gone on parents more and more to be the, the whole answer to everything, to entertain, to educate, to occupy every minute of a child's time. And actually, a lot of that children just got naturally through being outside with other children. So it's, it's really hard for parents as well. It's a huge pressure on parents to do that. And then the outside world, yes, has become very unfriendly, if not hostile to children and people don't have patience with the sound of children or the, you know, it's going to say the annoyance, but you know, I mean, the, you know, they're alive and they're moving and they're loud and they're, you know, running around. And yes, it's like we've lost the ability to be big enough for that. And yet there's nothing that's more important because children, that is how children grow and that is how they are happy in the present moment. And it's how they develop and how they grow into adults who can you know belong and um, be positive and contribute to the world and have social networks and all of those things and so if we're stopping it all at this point there's a huge lot of pain down the line and we're actually seeing that I mean that's the other massive massive change since since we were small obviously a lot of things have got better for people and for children but Children's physical and mental health at the moment, and you'll obviously know all of this from your work, is at crisis point. I mean, 80% of children don't get the basic minimum one hour of activity a day that they need to be well. I mean, that's 80%. One in four children leave primary school obese now. And these health problems are just storing up for huge health problems as adults. And I've actually, in the other project I mentioned, in the, the artist studio, in the school, on the estate, the children there, it is, it is one of the poorest areas of England. And so in a way, people are very concentrated there. And I see, I've seen over the 17 years I've worked there, the physical health of children deteriorate in a really frightening way. Very frightening. Like ch some children not able to move properly because they don't almost move enough. Um, children feeling very unsure on ground that isn't a flat pavement, like a bit uneven ground. They're like, whoa, you know, very strange things, actually, from children just being indoors all the time. So, and also children's mental health is in crisis as well, and more so after COVID. So a lot of the focus in those conversations is on diet or it's on mental health support and things like that. But actually, we just feel... But let's go back to the root of it. What do children need to be healthy and well and to flourish and play and being outdoors and other children is absolutely at the heart of that. So that's what we should be trying to change and to give them. I completely agree with you. I think 
it's really interesting because when, when I started, so I started Clear Sky Children's Charity back in 2010 and it felt like it was like right at the beginning about the conversation about ch children's mental health and maybe even just mental health in general. There weren't a lot of services around and now it feels like we've gone so far the other way that everything, almost everything is becoming about mental health. And we've kind of seemed to have skipped this bit around like physiological needs in some ways around, like you say, movement, exercise, fresh air, access to sunlight. And I, I don't know that we've actually fully taken into account how damaging screens are and how addictive they are, especially for the developing brain and what, like what kind of health problems we're and economic problems and social problems we're lining ourselves up for the future. So have you found that this kind of lack of access to playing out, does it affect all children equally? I don't think it does actually, no. And I think part of that goes back to the fact that when it was normal and natural for all children to play out every day, it was free. And that's the crucial thing. It didn't cost any money and you didn't have to go anywhere. So what that meant was that all children had that physical activity, that socialization, that imagination, everything. Now, because it's so much more dependent on clubs and classes and organized trips and getting somewhere special sometimes. Actually, children who don't have access to all that aren't able to benefit from it. It's not the same as outdoor free play anyway, with the freedom to, to play what you want. But children facing the most disadvantage are not getting those kind of compensatory activities in a way. And certainly in the school that I've worked in for a long time, there are children who, I mean, they literally don't go out and they don't in the summer holidays. They're just inside or online. And when you look at the sort of health statistics as well, the poorest children, the health statistics are by far the worst. And in fact, the Royal College of Pediatricians has said that the kind of the physical health of children from the poorest backgrounds is at a terrifying point. And, you know, this is something that we have to do something about. And playing out is, it can be a game changer, you know, giving equal access to outdoor space for all children for play and socialization really could be a game changer if, you know, and if we all decided it was important enough, it could be done. So yes, it doesn't affect all children the same, but it does affect all children. And I think that's the other point is that it, it is about all children are missing out on this mm. and all children need it. Absolutely. What you're doing is, is so important, but also like you say, it's, it's free. Like you should be able to step outside your front door and just play outside. It's accessible to everybody. And I love that idea of that community that you build on your street. We all need a community, right? And it feels like we're kind of more fractured and isolated than ever as adults, but also as children, like you say. So I'm really interested to hear then how has this been growing? What, what, what does the future look like, do you think, for playing out in the street? Well, it's grown steadily, really, since that, that first one. And as you mentioned just there about community, that was the other kind of light bulb bit from the first playing out session because it, we hadn't really thought about the adult neighbours coming together and what they were missing and how it might make a difference to that. But actually, people getting to know each other on the street, knowing the older neighbours, people who hadn't had children, just everybody getting to know each other better changed it as a place to live really and that really changed it for children you know if they know 
six trusted adults at number 21, 25, 23, you know, who they can go and knock on the door if they need to, or people who they wave at when they're out on their street. That changes their experience of life because small children, like older people, live most of their lives in this small residential area. They go to school, they go to the shop. So actually seeing neighbours and waving to them and saying hello, it just transforms their experience of the world. That is their experience of the world at that point. And then they take that with them into adulthood. So it's really important. So because of the benefits to children and community, the idea started to spread. And it was very much kind of word of mouth at first. Parents in Bristol were like, oh, I want to do that thing. In Bristol, there was a, a policy at the time in the council that you could only close your road up to three times a year for a street party. So we worked with the council to, to get a new policy in place, which was a kind of, you know, radical bit of paperwork because it hadn't existed before. So that residents can now apply for a play street up to once a week for a whole year. So you just do one application for a whole year and you can close your road every week if you want. And that really changed things because then it meant people could, you know, it was a regular thing that streets could do every single week. And since that time, it's spread all around the UK and we've had 1,600 communities now do regular play streets and different, you know, different settings as well. Some on estates, some in cities, some in towns, some rural, but not so much actually, because it's harder, I think, to close those roads. And we've got 100 councils who've put the policy in place to, to support this. So it's a bit you know, that we would love there to be a policy across the whole of the UK where central government just told councils, look, just do this thing. It's really good for children. But no, we've had to work with each one to help them put it in place. And yeah, that's around 50,000 children who've played out regularly, sometimes over many years. Sometimes people keep their play street going over many years, sometimes less, you know. But it's all a, a kind of bottom-up parent-led, resident-led movement to claim back that space and time for children and you know it's had a huge impact on children's well-being on those streets we have we do regular surveys with people who run play streets and the and the numbers coming back are really high so yeah it makes them happier it makes them healthier they're running around more they've learned to ride a bike you know we've probably all seen the the ludicrous thing of like parents having to drive to a park with a bike in the boot just to give their child a bit of time on a bike, you know. So suddenly, play streets, people are cycling, scooting, roller skating up and down. So yeah, loads of really positive impact and about children feeling more part of the community and the parents feeling that. But for us, I guess, right from the beginning, it was always about, no, children need this every day. You know, this is a great thing that we're doing. And it's a good sort of immediate thing that people can do with their neighbours. But actually, this isn't the answer. I mean, we need to make it possible for children to be outside again and to have that freedom and play again. And so for us, the Play Streets movement has been a really good platform to then speak out for children's needs and speak out for parents and try and push for policy change, you know. So it's kind of enabled us to have more of a voice, really, about this, which is really good. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you were um, part of an inquiry recently, I think, with the government. Is that right? Yeah. So we, well, we've always fed into sort of different consultations about, you know, road traffic. And, for example, a simple thing that everywhere 
should be 20 miles an hour, residential streets. I mean, it's just the single most thing that makes street safer because putting it bluntly, a, a child hit at 30 miles an hour is very likely to die. A child hit at 20 miles an hour, it's much more likely that they won't. So it's just statistically makes absolute sense. That's what we have to do as a country for our children. So we fed into things like that. But recently we got together with other organizations and wrote to the Department for Leveling Up uh, Housing Communities and said, look, we really feel like this problem is so big and gets so little attention. We think there needs to be an inquiry into children in the built environment, which is basically children outside. You know, are they out? If they're not out, why not? What needs to change and what does government policy need to do? And with a few organizations, we put this proposal in and they said, yes. So that was amazing. We were like, Whoa. so yeah, <laughs> so the inquiry, it opened in November for written submissions and over a hundred experts, academics, organizations have inputted. And then the actual inquiry is the oral session start next week and we're giving evidence at that. So, you know, hopefully this is a real opportunity to make decision makers aware and understand of the problems of children and their lives outside and hopefully change will come from it yeah well congratulations and that, like that's it's really exciting I'm hopeful that change does happen and for you know for our children and how can people get involved what can people do if they're listening to this and thinking actually I want to be part of this make change and help make change so I suppose in terms of thinking well I, I actually do want my child to be outside more and play outside more and have some of that but how what do I do how do I go about it I think you know what we did and what I did with my children was just to try and create those opportunities where they're outside in spaces but with other children because I think it's really hard when it's just your children they're kind of like oh I don't want to go out I want to you know it's much harder to kind of almost get them into playing outside but once they're with friends it's a completely different thing to be outside and to just play or go on a walk so I think just going meeting friends in parks or even just patches of land at the corner of your road you know we've got a church opposite I used to go and sit there with a cup of tea and a friend and my children would just play in the green bit it's tiny the green bit around the church but they'd find stuff you know because they were with friends so finding those patches of land and opportunities I think Walking to school is really good. The walk to school and back, if you can do it, and if your school is near enough, is an amazing opportunity for play and being outside and kind of also building up your child's sense of being outside and being in their local community and also building up the road sense, which you have to start from really early on while you're with them for many years before they can do it on their own. You know, a lot of children now are driven to school and then the first time they walk to school on their own is secondary school. And actually, you know, the statistics are the most casualties are children of that age because they're, you know, they're with their friends, they're excited, they're walking to school, they're all over the place, they're like falling into the road, chilling their water bottles around. And actually it's dangerous, you know, because they haven't had the years of building up their confidence and independence. And I think... So I think those are some simple things that you can do as a parent. Moving more into the sort of activism or taking action, obviously a play street, if you want to get together with your neighbours, it is work and it is a big thing to do. It's not to pretend it isn't, but it is an amazing thing to do. And it, it can change your street and it can change your child's growing up, basically, which is incredible. And we've got a blog on our website at the moment, actually, by 
a parent called Emma who has done this exact journey and she's just saying everything it's given her boys and it's really inspirational to read. She's in Hull and yeah, she's been amazing and she's supported other parents in Hull to do the same. So we can, if you want to do that, we can provide all the support you need, like online, on the phone. We can put you in touch with people who maybe live near you, who've done it before. So there's a whole network of support and inspiration. And if, if people want to sign up to Playing Out's newsletter, we're always kind of sending inspiration and stories and things to help help you take action. And then there's kind of activism beyond or around that if you want to do that. So, you know, maybe writing to your council if you don't have 20 miles an hour in residential areas or, you know, the whole traffic speed outside of schools and school streets that are trying to calm traffic outside of a school, those kinds of things or lobbying your school to take children out more into green spaces or, you know, so there's lots of things that you can, you can kind of complain about and try and get changed if you want to do that. And I think for me, it's felt really, really important for my children that I've done all of that, you know, trying to get them outside. And now they're in their twenties, sometimes they'll be like, yes, mum, we did play out. You did. But actually <laughs> they absolutely see that the freedom they had and the outside time they had in a way that all the things it gave them in the same way I had that. They didn't have it in the same way that I had it, but they had it enough that it's, uh, it's in their bodies, it's in their memories. They walk to school quite early on their own and things like that. And so I kind of, yeah, I feel very glad about that. Yeah. I mean, what an amazing foundation to, to build on for life, right? Sometimes I used to have to force myself to go outside, particularly if it's raining, right? But if you're used to it from a very early age and actually you're like, this is what I do. It's part of who I am. I like yeah. being outside and I like moving. Then that's a great foundation to build on for later life. Yeah. And I think the independence and the independent side of that is, is so key as well. Because my son, when he was 18, after he'd finished sixth form, him and his friend decided they were going to travel in Africa in East Africa and then going down to South Africa and they were absolutely determined. They got jobs, they saved up all the money and they were 18. So yeah, they're going to do it. They're adults and they did it. But at that point, I felt, thank goodness, I let him, you know, have take risks, have freedom, build up to that, get life knowledge because they are just suddenly going to leave home or go off and do big journeys or take jobs. or And if you haven't, also made sure that they've built up that risk-taking and life knowledge and all the rest of it, then, you know, that's kind of put, you know, putting them at a disadvantage in a way. And I think it's much, much harder for parents now, particularly because of screens, but we can support anyone who wants to, their, with their children to play outside more, definitely. Such an important thing. So where can people find out more information? What's your website address? So our website is playingout.net and we've just got, yeah, we've got a lot on there. We've got films and stories and blogs and inspiration, but also lots of how-tos. We've got loads of template letters, like if you want to write to your neighbours to suggest a play street or you want to apply to your council. We've also got information about all the councils, so you can look on there and see, oh, does my council have a policy yet or not? So yeah, we've got absolutely loads on there and you have to kind of rummage around a bit sometimes, but, but there's lots of good stuff on there. And our mailing list yet yeah, is another way of just staying in touch in a way with the whole 
aspiration for children to be out. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ingrid. This has been a really fantastic conversation. I feel very inspired by your work and it's, it's really amazing. It really is. Thank you. Thank you for the chance to talk about it because it's still the greatest passion. So it's really nice to be able to talk about it with someone who feels the same way. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast. I hope you really enjoyed the conversation and found it enlightening and inspiring too. If you're a parent looking to create stronger connections and nurture your child's well-being, I've got something special for you. I want to introduce you to Treasure Time, an innovative digital play course designed to teach emotional development through child-led play, my favourite thing. Imagine strengthening your relationship with your child, reducing stress and fostering a happy, healthy family dynamic all through the magic of play. Treasure Time offers bite-sized, fun instructional videos, engaging play dates and evidence-based techniques to improve communication with your child. By taking part in Treasure Time, you'll get six play dates to build that strong relationship with your child. You'll not only become a black belt play ninja, but you'll also gain valuable skills to enhance your child's emotional literacy and your own confidence in setting boundaries, being playful and finding new ways to communicate with your child. Having a strong relationship with your child has so many positive effects, including reducing power struggles, fewer challenges in getting your child to listen to you or to cooperate with what you want, fewer emotional outbursts, and when they do happen, you have more skills to help regulate yourself and your child. And the best benefit of all is a stronger, deeper connection with your child that will last throughout their lifetime. It's a transformative journey that lots of parents have already experienced. So if you're ready to embark on this exciting adventure with Treasure Time, just head over to the website today, treasuretime.co.uk. Use the code podcast for an extra 10% off the price and you'll get access to the full course today. It's a small investment for a lifetime of benefits. It's your guide to raising an emotionally intelligent child and it's just one click away. Remember, this is not just about play, it's about creating lasting connections and helping your child to grow up happy. Visit treasuretime.co.uk and start your playful journey today. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep playing, keep connecting and keep making those precious moments count. If you enjoyed this episode of the Treasure Time podcast, please head over to Apple and leave us a five-star review and a comment so that we can reach more parents who are interested in learning about the power of play. See you next time.